you will, uh, grab your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. 1 Timothy sandwiched in between 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy. So if you'll find your way there, and that's where we're going to find ourselves tonight and talk through a really practical uh, part of 1 Timothy here. And just some context for you on the scripture and then kind of set up the stage for where we're going. Timothy's a young pastor. He's been discipled by Paul. He's been sent by the church, and now he's preaching. And he was young at this time, really young. And he had a streak of timidity in him. Timothy tended to be a little reserved sometimes in his teaching. And, and it allowed sometimes his youth, his young age, to hinder him. It would hold him back. He would use that as a reason to slow down sometimes. And so Paul pins this letter to him in 1 Timothy, and here, excuse me, in chapter 4, uh, he's actually going to do a little coaching. <clears throat> and so, that's going to kind of set the stage for where we're going tonight, where we're going to hang out. On May 7th, 2002, there was a guy by the name of Allen Iverson, played point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers. If you don't know what that means, he was a basketball player, professionally. He was really good. Okay, because I know we got some people that like Philadelphia 76ers. That's real. Yes, it's real. It's a basketball team. Okay. And on May 7th, 2002, he walked into a post-game press conference. Their season was coming to a close. It had been very disappointing for the 76ers. It was high expectations, and they didn't meet those expectations. He had also been dealing with some personal stuff, and he got asked a question about practice. Some of you know what I'm about to say. And he answered like this. We sitting in here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. We talking about practice. I mean, listen, he repeated himself. We talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We talking about practice. Not a game that I go out there and die for and play every game like it's my last. Not the game. We talking about He goes on the rant that is legendary to this day. If you are a sports person, you've heard that at some point. And even if you're not, you've probably come across it. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about practice. We're talking about practice. Right? It's not just something that athletes do. There's people in this room that are in the marching pride. You guys practice a lot. Right? You nursing majors, you are constantly in clinicals and studying, which we all are very thankful for. We want nurses who have been studious and have prepped, right? I don't want a nurse who walks in and is like, I've never done any of this before. <laughs> Find me another one, <laughs> right? You with me? Those of you who are really academic, you study, you prep for tests. We practice for things in life. We prep because you have to. It's not just about knowing stuff. Right? You can know everything under the sun, but if you don't do anything with it, it's useless. If a carpenter knows everything to do with the skills of carpentry, but he never touches a saw and put it to work, what's the point? He's just spent a lot of time gaining knowledge about a useless hobby. But it applies spiritually, too, and that's what Paul's going to get at here. Actually, throughout this little passage here, some of the Greek words, the original Greek words, are actually analogy-type words talking about athletes. 
talking about athletes preparing and practicing to go to games, to go to the battlefield or to go to the coliseum of that day and do what they were trained and put in and taught to do. And so Paul's going to coach us up here. He's going to take a moment in this letter to Timothy and give us some good old-fashioned coaching. And so if you've never been an athlete before, don't worry. It's fine. You're going to learn from this tonight too. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. I'm going to read through verse 15, and then we're going to see what God has for us tonight. And so it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers in an example in speech and conduct in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we see clearly from Paul here, that knowing things and being taught things of God are good. Check the box. Good. You guys are faithful to come every Wednesday night. Awesome. Aren't you glad that we have a guy like Trey Mitchell that comes up here and faithfully studies the Word and teaches us what he learns to help us grow and walk in our way with Christ? But if you just come here and sit and soak it in like a sponge and never squeeze it out during the week, you're only doing half the part. Because at the end of the day, God doesn't need any of us to expand the kingdom. He can do it all on his own. Salvation is all a work of God. It's all a work of God. But he chooses to use us, and he desires to use each and every one of us for the kingdom. That's why he's left us here. To, to toil, excuse me, toil, not stool, toil and strive for the gospel. That's why we're here, believers in the room. Because if salvation was just about heaven, why would he leave us here? What's the point if it's just about entering into heaven? The salvation now is about a life with Jesus Christ that I'm living and I'm going to look for other people to bring along with me. And that's what Paul's trying to teach us here. So the first thing I think we need to see is that we got to put knowledge to work we got to put knowledge to work. That's what he says here in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, if you teach these things, that's what he's telling Timothy, the pastor. You, Timothy, will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What he's saying here by train is you got to work out what you put in. you got to put the knowledge of God that you've put in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, and now put it to work. It's good to learn the things. It's very good. But now you got to put it to work, right? It's the same thing in your classes. It's good to go to class, okay? 
Don't do like I didn't skip every time. It's good to go to class. It's good to go and learn those things. But if you don't study them and apply them when that test hits your computer screen or your desk, it's going to be in a little bit of trouble. You know what I mean? See, so get degrees. I know. But you got to put the knowledge to work. It starts with what you know. Yes, it does. Every athlete in the room will tell you as you've grown up and if you ever played sports, when you started little, what did they teach you? The fundamentals. The basics. How to hold the bat. How to throw the ball. How to stand before you shoot the ball. They teach you the fundamentals, the basics of the game. Where to run to, where to stand, what the rules are. They give you all the knowledge so that when the game comes, you can go out there and forget all of it. Right? At least when you were like seven or eight, that was totally acceptable. Some of you now that, you know, you're doing sport for scholarship and other things, if you forget things, it might be bad. But you go out there and you've been taught the fundamentals. You've been taught what to do. You've been taught the strategy. You've been taught how to prepare and be ready for action. And now you're in the action. And so now it's just do what you know. And that's the same thing for us Christians as life. God's not calling all of us to go be missionaries or go be pastors or go be whatever, but what he's calling us is to be faithful servants of God. Just do what you know. You know the things. You sit under the teaching of God. You read the Bible on your own. You sit in a Bible study. You sit in discipleship. You go through those things, but put it to action. Put it to work. Put to practice what is in you. As James wrote in chapter 2 of James, faith without works is dead. Even the demons believe and shudder. They even move in response to their belief of God. But yet sometimes as Christians, we just sit around with our hands in our pocket, just soaking it in, soaking it in, and soaking it in, and never doing anything about it. And the world around us is dying and searching and, and missing out on God because the church is fine sitting on our hands. We're fine coming on Sundays and Wednesdays or Tuesday Bible studies or Monday worship services and having our fun little holy huddles and then never inviting someone to join us. J.D. Greer's a pastor and he said, the reality is that the call to follow Jesus, including a call to follow him in his mission. Your life as a Christian doesn't stop on the day of salvation, it actually begins. And it's the process of sanctification becoming more like Christ every single day, putting my knowledge to work, going about his mission, doing those things as I'm right where God has placed me. God's given you gifts and passions and those things, and all he's asking you to do is take the knowledge you've learned and put it into practice there. We become better disciples by simply being a disciple. You become better at what you do passionately by doing more of it, right? Baseball guys, you become better hitters by taking more hacks in the cage, hopefully, right? Rhythm and repetition and doing those things. You want to be a better follower of Jesus Christ? Just be a better disciple. Just be better at doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. And it'll become more natural to you. You guys can testify to all the things in your life. You all have hobbies. You all have skills. Some of you in the room are artists. You can paint. You can draw. You can sketch. I don't have that. I'm jealous of that. It's awesome. I can't even draw a stick figure. It's like crooked and it looks weird. But some of you could sit down with a canvas right now and in 30 minutes give us something that we'd all be like, whoa. You know how you got there? Because you just painted. 
you just drew. You just kept doing it. The people in your life that you're like, man, those people are passionate about Jesus. They love God. It's all over their life. Yeah, because you just see them put it to action. They're not the people just sitting around waiting for something to happen. They ask God to move, and when God moves, they go with him. And that's what Paul is teaching us here. And he gives us a simple reminder, too, in this, as we're putting our knowledge to work, that you got to make sure you have the right kind of knowledge. You notice he said that, right? Don't give in to silly myths. Don't give in to irreverent teaching. There is false teaching in our world today. You've got to be really careful of everything you hear. Just because people like me and Trey and Matt Beerhouse and other people are given a microphone and a podium, it gives us no authority over your life. The word of God is the only authority in your life, and it's the only absolute truth in this world. So filter everything you hear through the lens of Scripture. Make sure it's the right kind of knowledge. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as it talks about. Working out your salvation is not earning your salvation. And listen, tonight we're going to talk about a lot of things to do. You can't earn your salvation. That's not what I'm teaching tonight. Salvation is only a work of the grace of God in your life. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do good enough to get salvation. You can try hard all you want, and you'll get to eternity, and Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can't earn it. But when you give your life to Christ, that salvation should compel you to live a life that looks different from the world. And the truth of God should absolutely rock your soul. Focus on the word of God. It's very clear teaching. That's what I love about the Bible. A lot of times we pick this up, we read it, and we get confused, or at least I do. But the more we dive into it, the simpler it gets. It actually says in Psalms 19 that the word of God is pure, making wise the simple saying that the more we read the word of God, wisdom becomes more and more simple. It's just like any team or band or club or organization that you've ever been a part of, your workplace, they have a thing called culture. They have a thing called expectations. It's a small list. It's certain things that everyone a part of that organization should be able to tell you. This is the few, like if I do anything else, I've got to do these things because this is what we stand on. These are our principles. These are our, this is our culture. I used to be a, a basketball coach. I got to coach collegiate level. That's what I was chasing all through college, and I got to do that. And every program I was a part of, we had our culture things. We had our few things that we would say to the guys over and over and over again. We wanted them to just do that. Just do that. One of the teams, it was be disruptive. We said it all the time. Be disruptive. Be disruptive. You know what I love about the Word of God is it's pretty repetitive. It's repetitive. It's all about one thing, us dedicating our life to Jesus Christ and then living in glory of the Father. And every passage in Scripture points us to Jesus Christ. That's our culture, Christians. And that's all he's saying. Take that knowledge and put it to work. The second thing, though, that we see from this is there's high standards. There's high standards. As he said at the end of verse 7, train yourself for godliness in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The standard is godliness. The standard is holiness set by a holy God. And that's the high standard he has called us to. What I have found about your generation to be true is that the higher the challenge, the higher the standard, the higher the results you put out. 
Your generation has gotten really good at meeting high standards. You get a lot of stuff from the world and media about some things wrong with your generation. But I'm around you guys a lot, and I see that the more you get challenged, the more you rise to the occasion. You know why that doesn't surprise me? Because that's how God created us. When he created Adam and Eve, he created them in the garden, perfect. In a perfect state, as he designed it to be. Living in a perfect, holy state with him. The most prized creation of all are the humans. And we were created to live in perfection with him. Obviously, we screw that up. And what Paul is teaching us and reminding us here is that you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have surrendered to Jesus, we are now living and laboring for eternity. We're living and laboring for eternity. Not just eternity future, but eternity now. Did you catch that? Godliness is good for now. Living holy lives that are countercultural is good for now. And as we see later in this passage, for you, yourself, and the people around you. Don't forget in this, we spend a lot of time as Christians in church world talking about others, and we should. Love God, love others. But don't forget in this that holiness is good for you and your own personal walk with the Lord. And that if you're not growing and living a holy life, it's going to be really hard to love others. Because sin keeps us from stepping into that. Holiness is what Christ has set for us. It's the goal to achieve. Some of you in this room are, are goal-driven. You're planners. You're achievement-focused. That helps you stay focused. And that's great. You're wired that way. Some of you need goals to keep you going the direction you're going. Awesome. Do that. Keep doing it. What Scripture is reminding us here is that holiness, godliness is the goal, and the goal to achieve is to bring him glory by living holy lives. That's what brings him honor. You guys know that sin is evil. It's wicked. You guys know that the, this world, there's nothing in this world that matters, right? There's good things in this world. But in the scope of eternity, only godliness for his glory is what matters, we can chase riches and fame and power and career and wins and accolades and success and good grades and relationships. We can chase marriage and kids and homes and traveling and all of those good things. And if God calls you to do some of those things and be a part of some of those things, awesome. Do it for the glory of God. I tell people all the time, my favorite role in the world is being a husband and a dad. I love it. I am so blessed that God gives me this honor. But I pray every day, Lord, make me do that for your glory. Not just because it's something I wanted. I wanted to be a husband. I wanted to be a dad. I'm not ashamed of that. But it's God-given, and it's his. And marriage is such a great example of the gospel. And what Paul is reminding Timothy and reminding us is that there's high standards on our life. Godliness is the expectation. I don't know about you, but I like clear expectations. I worked for a guy one time that he never told us his expectations. Never did. Not once. I worked for him for four years as a manager here. I was manager for the basketball team when I was in school here at North Alabama. For four years, the head coach never once told me his expectation. He never once told me what I was supposed to do. I showed up on the first day in the summer to work basketball camp. He handed me a t-shirt, 
and a set of keys. And he said, camp starts at 9. Okay? I showed up at 9. I'm like, what do I do now? <laughs> right? So I'm just kind of walking around. I'm talking to some kids. About 30 minutes into camp, he says, hey, Daniels, you going to get involved in camp or do I need to send you home? I guess I'm going to get involved. I still don't know what that means. But I got involved, and eventually, over time and learning him and how he wants to do things, I figured out that his expectation was just for you to work. You just see what needs to be done, and you do it. But he never told me that. I just had to figure it out on my own. I'm a slow learner, okay? Morgan will tell you I need clear expectations. I need things written down. Morgan is great at sticking a Post-it note on my wallet right? Because I'm going to grab my wallet when I leave, and that post-it note will be the things that are important to my wife that I need to do today. And you know what I'm really good at? Not doing that post-it. And I use that as an example because it's such a great reminder spiritually that God's given us clear expectations and standards, and we're really good at not doing it. Let's change that. Let's change that. Let's see the high standard and not be scared of it. Let's see the high standard and run to it and show God that he's right, that we are the prize creation and we do love his glory and we do want to bring him glory. You do that on this earth for people that you love. When people that you love give you a task or a challenge, you meet it because you love them. If you've ever been a part of a team, you understand yeah, I'm going to put my best foot forward, but I'm going to do it for the person next to me. That's how the best teams win. And we do it for the body of Christ under our head. I got to move on. Number three, hard work. Talking about hard work. When we talk about practice, we talk about hard work. If you've ever practiced anything, whether it's school, band, athletics, none of us ever really say like, yeah, I'm excited about practice. <laughs> there may be days where we look forward to it, but sometimes it's like, man, I got to go to practice. It's hard work. It's toiling. It's striving. Did you catch that here in verses 10 and 11? For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe, command and teach these things. What Paul is saying is, hey, it's not easy. It's hard work being a child of God, but it's necessary to put the work in. If Jesus Christ will go through the punishment of the cross, I think the least we can do is put the hard work in to be a good disciple. If he was beaten and mocked and scorned and spit on, you do realize he was beaten so badly to the point you couldn't recognize him. And then they still shoved a crown of thorns on his head and three nails in his body because of my sin. And all he's asking in his return is let's toil and strive to that end. Let's pour ourselves out as the same sacrificial offering. The word actually he's using here when he talks about toil is a word that is similar to what we would use as agonize. And in the Greek, it's actually a picture of the athlete straining to win. That athlete, at the end of the rope, they're absolutely exhausted. They've got nothing left to give, and they find one more ounce of something deep within their soul, and they're able to get across that finish line. They're able to make that last play. They might fall out on, flat on their back when they hit the locker room, but they found everything in them to put it all out on the field or on the court in that moment. That's the word he's using here. 
agonizing pain of work. The Christian life is work. We see it all throughout scripture. You're the light, you're the salt, you're a city on a hill in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. You do realize lights only work if you turn them on. Salt only does what salt's supposed to do if you shake it out of the shaker. A city will fall if it doesn't do the work to keep the infrastructure going. It takes action for those things to do what they're supposed to do, and that's what it is. And listen to me. It's okay for us to tool for the gospel. It's okay for it to be hard work because you know why we fall more in love with Jesus because he stretched our faith. I say this all the time. If you've heard me teach a lot, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna keep saying it. We have never, if you have ever served God in any way that costs you a lot, you've never regretted it. You've never regretted that gospel conversation you had. You've never regretted that mission trip you went on. You've never regretted that service project. You never regretted that random thing that you felt the Spirit of God leading you to do and you did it. You never walked away from that. It's like, huh, that was a fat waste of time. And you might have been tired after it. You might have been exhausted. I don't know about you, but when I get home from a mission trip, I'm like, good grief, did I just get hit by a bus? You know why? Because you poured yourself out as a sacrificial offering for that time because you knew that's what you were supposed to do. And what this passage is reminding us is that every day of our life with Christ should be that. Not for us, for the glory of our Father, for the sake of the gospel going to people around us. Martin Luther's a famous theologian, and he was actually talking about work one time, and he said this in a message. The prince should think, Christ has served me and made everything to follow him. Therefore, I should also serve my neighbor, protect him and everything that belongs to him. That is why God has given me this office and I have it that I might serve him. That would be a good prince and a good ruler. I think we would agree with that. He then goes on to say, when a prince sees his neighbor oppressed, he should think, this concerns me. I must protect and shield my neighbor. But the same is true for the shoemaker, the tailor, the scribe, the reader, or any kind of worker. If he is a Christian tailor, he will say, I will make these clothes because God has bidden me do so, so that I can earn a living, so that I can help and serve my neighbor. When a Christian does not serve the other, God is not present, and that is not Christian living. So brothers and sisters, when we're not working out our faith for the sake of God and for the sake of people around us, we're not living like Christ did. Jesus is the best example. He was always serving. He was always going to the people. He washed his disciples' feet. He told Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He called 12 men to be his disciples. That ain't none of them deserved that calling. They were the lowliest of low. One of them was a tax collector, the worst person of all. And he called him to be his disciples. Why? Because God is always going to call and use the unqualified because it shows the measure of his goodness. And so if you're looking at this and going, I don't know that I can do this Christian life, good. Because Christ can, you just be obedient and work your tail off for the sake of the gospel. The fourth thing we see is he tells us to lead by example. Lead by example. Verse 12. If you have grew up in church, you've heard this verse, right? You heard it at some point in youth group. I would think so anyway. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul is reminding us that age does not matter. Age doesn't matter. 
doesn't matter how old you are. If you are in Christ, everywhere you go, every word you say, every moment of love that you do or do not do, you're doing it as a representation of the body of Christ. Being an example for the believers is he's not saying show other believers what to do. He's saying as on behalf of believers. Because everywhere we go, we are the church. We are the light. We are the salt. And we are to be those things. And so let's lead by example. Every team captain, every band director, every SGA president, all of those people are tasked with one thing. Set the example. Hold your teammates accountable. You know what I'm talking about. Hold your section accountable. Make sure they're in rhythm and doing those things. Team captains can't let anybody slide with anything. They got to set the example themselves by hard work. Speaking what needs to be spoken. And that's what Paul's telling this young pastor in Timothy. Hey, man, don't let age slow you down and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because you're young. And listen to me, platform doesn't matter. You don't need a platform like I have right now. You don't need that. You have it in your daily life. There's people that God has placed around you that you're around every day or every other day for the sake of the gospel. And God is telling you, lead by example in their life. They need to see Christ in you. That's why Christ has put you there. You're not in math right now just because UNA requires it. You're in math because God wants somebody in that classroom to see and hear him through you. You didn't just randomly choose to eat at the GUC this week or the commons. God ordained those steps because there was somebody there that needed to see Christ in you. When we see things eternally with a biblical worldview, we understand that saved or lost doesn't matter. We're going to be an example for Christ. And here's what I love about your generation. We're seeing God really move in your generation. I actually found out on Monday, I was talking to some colleagues of mine across the state, and our state director brought in a guy from Texas to, to encourage us as collegiate ministry leaders. And he told us something that blew my mind. Since August of 2022, so over a year, since August of 2022, across the 50 states of America, in collegiate ministries like this one, like BCMs, all of Baptist collegiate, this is just Baptist collegiate ministries across our country, 5,100 college students have been saved since August of 22 across America. The North American Mission Board has tabbed your generation as the revival generation. You know why they've tabbed you as that? Because your generation is seeking God deeper and more intently than any other generation currently on this earth. And I can say that as a millennial. I say this to encourage you. I say this to challenge you and to push you and to tell you, keep going that direction. Because what God's gonna do is he's gonna use your generation to flip this world upside down for the gospel. He's not done with this world. He's not, if he was done, he would have already come back and called the saints home. So that tells us right now he's not done. And he's using you guys and he's getting your attention and he's calling you deeper. He's begging you for more. So keep giving it to him. Keep letting him do this. In these areas, right, in your speech, let your speech be words that are constantly filled with life. Let your conduct be actions that are holy. It says in Galatians, keep in step with the spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Just keep walking. Do the things that you say you believe in. Do the things that you talk about. Live a life that matches in speech and conduct. He says in love, 
We should always love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with every fiber of our being, and out of that love, love our neighbor as ourselves. As I said, love God and love others. Love him, love him and love others sacrificially. In faith, wholly trust God. Never doubt him. Hold on to the good. Run in that. Let your faith be what drives you. Let your faith be what motivates you. Let your faith be what sustains you. Live a life of faith. If people describe you as a man or woman of faith, I think that's the best compliment you can ever receive. And he says impurity. That's purity of mind, purity of thought, purity of body. Scripture tells us to flee sexual immorality. You can't fight with this stuff. Run from it. Live a life of purity. There's nothing more countercultural than living a life of purity right now in 2023. And it's right here in Scripture for me and you to live pure lives. Because purity speaks volumes. Purity shows where your heart's at, where your soul is set. And so we see where to put knowledge to work. There's high standards in our life. There's hard work. We're supposed to lead by example. And this is the last thing. We're going to wrap it up. Practice some more. Practice some more. Every athlete's, especially you collegiate athletes, favorite words from your coaches, better get some extra reps in. If you only put the time in practice, we're not going to be very good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of your high school coaches probably told you that. Got to get extra shots. Got to love the game. Got to be a gym rat. But the thing about our spiritual life is we've got to practice it some more. Listen, I'm not telling you, you got to work your tail off all day, every day, all the time. Yes, I know. You got to rest. You got to recharge. You got to fill the batteries, but that's what this stuff is for. So that you come, you take a moment, you get filled, and then on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you get squeezed out by God, and you just pour it out, and you practice some more. You live godliness. You set an example in speech, and conduct, and faith, and purity, and love, and you come back on Sunday, and you get filled up again, and then you go Monday, Tuesday, and you come back. You see? And that's what he's saying here. Devote yourself to this. What did he finish with? Look with me in verses 14 through 16. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by the prophecy. Now here he's talking specifically to Timothy. The gift he has is to preach. This man is to teach the word of God. It was given to him by God. You've also been given a gift. We're going to come back to that. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. He's talking about a devotion so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. Here's reminding you of this. And on the teaching, pay attention to what you're listening to. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are to immerse ourselves in the work of God. So yeah, that may mean we got to go the extra mile for somebody. That may mean like a guy I used to coach at a school that y'all don't know, his name was Marcel White. At the time, I was a grad assistant basketball coach, it'd be nothing. Literally, one o'clock in the morning, my phone would ring. It'd be Marcel White. Hey, man, can I get in the gym? And so I'd drag myself out of bed, put some clothes on. I lived on campus, so I'd walk down to the practice gym. I'd unlock it, pull the balls out, and I'd rebound and pass, rebound and pass to Marcel White. All hours of the morning. Because Marcel wanted to be a really good basketball player. He wanted coach to say, man, you're doing great. He wanted to get minutes. He wanted to play. And Marcel ended up being all-conference 
He's going to be in the JU down in Florida Hall of Fame one day. He was a great player because he put the work in. He got rep after rep after rep. For you and I, you're like, okay, what does that mean? You know, at the end of our life, we have a chance to hear God the Father look at us and say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. Come on in. Again, it's not earning your salvation. It's because I'm saved, I'm now going to pour it out. And y'all, I want nothing more than to see my Father in here and say, well done. So I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to immerse myself in the work of God. That's what I'm going to dive head first in. I'm not even going to check for water because I know God's there. Persistent commit, commitment and action and word. He says, pay attention to the teaching. Listen, be persistent in studying the word of God. Make time every day to read the word of God. You've been given a gift. You've been given a spiritual gift, and it's not just for you. It's not just for you to look in the mirror and be like, cool, I got this shiny object from God. Right? It's meant for you to use so that the gospel can go forth. It's been given to you by God. Use that gift, whatever that gift is. Some of you are servants by nature. That's a God-given gift. Doing something like I'm doing right now scares you to death. You know why? Because you weren't given that gift. That's okay. You serve, I'll teach, and God will be glorified. That's how it works. I'll wrap up with this. I'm a visual learner. I don't know if there's any visual learners in the room. So I brought an artifact from my day as a student manager. This is a great UNA logo, by the way. I'm a fan of the new logo, but like, this was the logo I first inherited as a student. And one of our assistant coaches gave me this jersey at our first practice, my first day as a freshman manager, and he said, hey, keep this jersey handy. You might have to jump in a drill. I'll tell you what color to put on because you notice it's gold. This is a practice jersey, by the way. We didn't wear these in the game. Some of y'all may not know, but there's practice jerseys and there's uniforms, right? You athletes know there's something different about that game day uniform than this thing, right? And so I've kept it all these years because it's great memories, right? I got to do some cool things. Got to meet a lot of fun guys. And holding it is great. But there's something different about putting it on. You know what I mean? Now you're like, this guy's ridiculous. You're right, I am. It was the same thing when coach would say, hey, man, get in out there and set ball screens. Got it. I loved it. It's like I got to be a part of it for just a second. Because I wanted to play as a freshman, right? I wanted to figure it out. Then I learned that God... I had other ideas in mind, and me washing towels at night may seem mundane, but that was my way to help the team. Here's the point I'm trying to make, students. We, if you're in Christ tonight, he has clothed you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It has been put on you by God. And it's not a jersey that you can just take off when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're sweaty. Because following Christ there's going to be sweat. There may be some blood. There will be tears. But it's all worth it for the sake of the gospel. It's all worth it. A.W. Tozer said, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours. The only righteousness we'll ever have is his. And so if the 
righteousness of Jesus Christ has clothed you, don't take it off. Don't sit back and relax. Stay in the action. It's a fun place to be. I love serving Jesus, don't you? And he's left us here, clothed in his righteousness. It's the only thing that unifies us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So that we can practice these things. So that we can grow in the Lord. And so that others can see your progress. Because when others see the work you put in, they're going to want a part of it. They're going to want to say, hey, what, what's going on with him? I mean, she's a different person. And they're going to watch. They're going to follow. They're going to ask questions. And you know what they're going to see? They're not going to see you. They're going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers you. And even though you may not deserve to wear that, it's been given to you. So don't carry it around like I carry this around or hang it in my office like some great memory. Wear it with pride. Wear it with joy. Put the work in.